Welcome to Wednesday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Before we get cracking with the show, let me just uh, tell you that there's been a collision in the heart of Drogheda, right in the centre at the uh, Moorland Cafe on West Street in Drogheda. Traffic is backed up right back the main street into narrow west street and beyond and the guardy are saying to us that'll be at least another 20 minutes before all is cleared there so if you are intending to head to the heart of drahana please do make alternative arrangements for the time being a crash right in the heart of town there big big traffic delays welcome to the show great to have you with us this wednesday afternoon and i'm truly delighted to say hello again to my first guest he's a journalist broadcaster playwright and she's so many other strings to her bow and i love reading her in independent newspapers regularly because she provokes thought she really does mary kenny hello again Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Well, Mary, October here in Ireland, there's a focus on mental health matters. And recently you've been writing about this in your wonderful column in The Independent. And really, you pose the question, just to summarise, I suppose, you know where we have the saying, it's good to talk. In a way, you question this. Well, this really arose from a study carried out at Cambridge University in England um, by Professor Michael Anderson, who's also assisted by um, another uh, academic called Dr. Mamet. Um, And they tested whether patients with depression and, and anxiety were always helped by talking therapy. And actually, at the end of their investigation, they concluded that... um, the patients weren't always helped by talking about their problems. Sometimes it was better for them to kind of move on, you know, and that sometimes talking about your problems can reinforce kind of negative scenarios uh, and focusing on on the negative all the time may not necessarily help. Um, So it was to some he did have a sort of word for to say sometimes a stiff upper lip is uh, a better coping strategy than constantly revisiting the misery that you feel or that you've experienced. You uh, cite an example uh, in in the wonderful column you wrote of you attending a group family therapy session once uh, yourself over a period of months and you sort of came to that conclusion with some people there. Yes, that was it. I mean, they were very nice and uh, they had uh, problems with uh, their children and problems of addiction and so on. But we just uh, went, we just, you know, really what happened was that we kept revisiting the same unhappy scenario. And I didn't feel, you know, it was much longer than a few months, actually. In fact, it went on over a year. But I didn't feel really that any of us made much progress in this talking therapy, even though it was very well-meaning and people did want to feel they could share. Um, and they did share, and perhaps that's a comfort, but it didn't seem to move anything forward. So that was just my experience. But of course, other people do have different experiences. Yes. And, um, you know, people are individuals at the end of the day. You know, you can't really have a, a hard and fast law for everyone. Um, but it's just the Cambridge, uh, the you know, the Cambridge report was very interesting in, in the sense that it slightly reversed uh, the idea that, you know, you should talk through everything. And I mean, the comedian... Woody Allen has made jokes about being in therapy for 50 years and it, he's not sure if it really helped him. Um, but and Professor Anderson did refer to Freud having really launched this idea of psychoanalysis. Of course, he did over 100 years ago. But Freud, I mean, I went back and I read one of Freud's most interesting short books called Civilization and Its Discontents. And Freud himself had some reservations about um, uh, about the whole notion of, of whether of expression versus repression. And he, he did suggest that a certain amount of repression was necessary for civilization, actually, for going forward and, uh, I suppose, the discipline of it. So he had 
evidently mixed feelings himself. But then on the other hand, you have somebody like Prince Harry, who really says he was helped by talking about the, the tragedies of his childhood. And mm. he needed to talk about this. And he did feel that his family had repressed too much and that they'd been too much, there'd been too much of the stiff upper lip. So you do have a variety of experiences, obviously. Yes, and uh, my word, he did open up in that book called Spare. Yes, that Woody Allen quip I was very familiar with. He said that after 50 years in psychotherapy, he was now ready to try Lourdes. <laughs> that Woody in his own inimitable and, and, and funny way. Uh, but, but your mother-in-law was a wise woman too and she had a theory on this. Well, I mean, she was from, you know, an earlier era, really. She was from the early, from the, she was born in the early years of the 20th century. So, you know, she grew up, you know, with, I mean, she was English and she grew up with the First World War, which, of course, um, you know, people suffered dreadfully after the First World War from post-traumatic stress because, and I should think also, you know, in our wars in Ireland as well, I think people probably did suffer very much from what they saw in the wars of the War of Independence and the Civil War, uh, and you know they just got on with it, uh, and they didn't talk too much about it. I mean, my own mother lived through the 1920s, and she never really much talked about what they had learned and what what they had gone through. But my mother-in-law had. She described dwelling on your unhappiness all the time as wallowing in misery, you know, which is a little bit of a harsh way of of putting it. But I think probably people of that generation did feel that you shouldn't, that it was self-indulgent to talk too much about your own unhappiness. Yeah, but uh, that wallowing thing, I'm sure there are people today who could be described as that as well. But in an overall context, Mary, we have to say that with better diagnosis, and you've said this, uh, of depression and anxiety, along with improved medication and understanding, has certainly brought better care and recovery. Yes, and it's also brought more openness, which I think is obviously a very good thing, because you had conditions like epilepsy, for example, which was which was kept very much as a, as a secret, because it was it was considered to be somehow shameful um, to be subject to epileptic fits. Whereas in fact, it's it's a condition which, and of course, I suppose it's now helped because there are medicate you know there are drugs and medication which can control. Uh, this condition. So, I mean, so we've been helped by medication. But then on the other side, I suppose you do have people uh, who feel that there's a pill for every ill and that, uh, you know, the, the, there's this addiction to... I mean, in America, it's it's really catastrophic, the addiction to painkillers. And, I mean, quite a lot of people die from overdoses of painkillers, which become very addictive because they feel they can't cope with their anxieties or the depressions. And um, so there is some fallout on that side as well uh, to, to overdosing yourself. I mean, I suppose, I mean, Freud himself again says this, life is hard sometimes and it also can be cruel and difficult and sometimes you do have to try to cope with it. Um, uh, so he does point that out. He's 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 enough of a Victorian himself to say this. Uh, that you know. So I suppose there's a difference between uh, the everyday the everyday sorrows and griefs. And I notice that um, there is a kind of uh, trend to medicalize uh, something like grief. I mean, grief and sorrow when you lose somebody, when somebody dies, when you lose someone, is terrible terrible circumstances, terrible, say, road collisions of beautiful young people losing their lives or so on. This is a tremendous sorrow. It's a tremendous grief. Um, but it's sometimes described as a trauma, as though it's a medical condition. But it's, but loss is not a medical condition. It is a great sadness. And I think maybe there's not enough distinction there either um, between... Uh, what is part of a, a sad part of life, um, 
with with a genuine medical condition of depression. Mm, yeah, that's a, a very good point indeed. But basically, uh, for, I read from what you say as well that you know we, we, there there is a distinction. There there is a fine line between you know wallowing and you know dealing with a, a serious situation. Talking is good, but at times you know when it's talked about, let sleeping dogs lie. You know that saying. Yes, these old sayings were very stoical, really. These old folk sayings, such as, you know, least said, soonest mended, which is really uh, 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 advice to, you know, mm. n- not to not to say what you think, really, or, you know, let sleeping dogs lie, you know. There, so the, these were sort of old folk sayings. Uh, which copes with these things. I suppose the other thing, too, which we have perhaps lost in the modern world is that a lot of rituals coped, you know, helped with things like loss. I mean, we did have traditions of mourning, for example. People, mm. I remember my when my aunt was widowed in the 1950s, she wore black for two years. Mm. Um, and then I think there was a sort of process of mourning where you then proceeded into grey. You were allowed to wear grey for a year, and then you, and then you were allowed. To, you sort of went back to normal colours. But there was, and I remember when I was young, uh, somebody in mourning would quite often wear a, a black patch on their jacket to show that they were in mourning. Um, so that uh, I think. Sometimes these rituals helped people to uh, maybe just help people to share their feelings of loss and made made other people aware that they that they had just lost somebody you know who was dear to them. Um, and I I think that is, is something we've we, we don't do anymore so much in modern life. And maybe maybe these these rituals helped people psychologically, uh, uh, you know, in, in times gone by. I mean, Jewish tradition is very interesting about this because Jewish tradition is that after a death, you you sit Shiva for seven days. You must mourn for seven days. Um, and then you wear mourning for a year and a day afterwards. So, you know, that was an interesting tradition of... Uh, of signalling that you, you know, that you that you were in a sad place, really, which mm. I think is interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Look, before we let you go, you're in the UK, uh, based there uh, for some time. The Conservatives have gathered in Manchester. It's the final day. Rishi Sunak is making a, a pitch to his believers uh, ahead of a, a general election next year. Um, they're in real trouble, aren't they? Well, I think it's time, you know, governments kind of run out of steam, really. And, um, they, you know, they need to go into opposition for a while mm. to sort of uh, think a little bit more and, 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 and develop their policies. And I think that's true in Dublin as well, actually. I think probably the current regime needs to take a rest, too, <laughs> so that, um, you know, so that a, um, an opposition will perhaps come in with more energy. Um, so I think that's, absolute, that's that's really quite normal. I mean, what's quite interesting, I suppose, about the Conservative Party uh, in Britain is the incredible rise of people of uh, people from ethnic backgrounds. Yes. It's almost dominated now with, you know, people from ethnic backgrounds. You've got Rishi, who is, of course, a, a Hindu from a, a Indian heritage, and the Home Secretary who's really a uh, uh, very controversial but very dominant figure and possibly another Margaret Thatcher, Suella Braverman. Mm. Uh, and she's a Buddhist, but she's probably the most combative Buddhist you could absolutely run into. And you have people like Priti Patel and uh, Kenny Badenoch, uh, who come from either Indian or African backgrounds, and they've risen through the ranks of the Conservative Party, which is quite an interesting phenomenon, really. And they're turning out to be more right-wing, basically, than um, 
many of the sort of, if you were like, quite conservative, mm. which is an interesting reflection on the way, on the way, the surprising way that things turn out. Yes, I look at them and I think, have they short memories? Uh, you know, their families are recent arrivals relatively in the UK as well and their attitude towards immigrants and that, I, I despair at times. And not to forget before we go, there's a lady called Liz Trust that's made a reappearance. Yes, she she has uh, indeed, and she she seems to be one of the uh, you know she draws a lot of people to her to her talks certainly, um, and she so I don't think we've seen the back of her, but I mean I suppose I mean Suella did say in her speech that you know when her parents came to the UK, you know it there was uh, uh, there was a wind of change and more people were coming to Britain in the 50s, 1950s and 60s. But it is uh, true that all through the United Kingdom, I, mean, I follow a lot of French news, and there is really a huge concern right across Europe about how to deal with these vast numbers mm. of people who are in pitiful conditions. But, you know, can the European countries take them all? So even though I think Suella says this in a rather robust way, I think that uh, she's raising a subject which, you know, obviously needs to be to have a conversation about. Oh, yeah, and a, a conversation is being had and will be into the future. Mary, thank you so much for joining me today. Always appreciate your input. Always lovely to talk to you and, and uh, have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. That's the wonderful Mary Kenny there speaking to us from the UK um, about mental health. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. We'll be doing more on mental health here on Late Lunch and more besides. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to get in touch with us in the show. Back in a moment. Bonnie Tyler and Total Eclipse of the Heart on your Late Lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Do you know, Louise... I might be talking to Bonnie shortly. Bonnie she's on, Tyler, no yeah, way. Yes, she's on the horizon. She's on the horizon. She oh, is. Great. Will you leave that microphone alone? People think there's thunder every day now that you uh, arrive on the scene at late lunch. Anyway, Bonnie. I make thunder. Bonnie, <laughs> Bonnie Tyler uh, is a possibility. Watch oh, this space. I yeah. love that song. I yeah. need a hero. Oh, yeah, it's a great song. It really is one of those mm. big anthems, isn't it? It's, it's something else. I have a problem, Louise. I have a problem. Maybe you can help me. Our listeners can help me. What do you put in your bread? What do you spread on your bread? What's your favourite butter. spread? Butter. butter. You, you love butter, bu- bar anything, on toast, mm. on bread. Oh on yeah, nothing but butter on toast. Toasted brack. Definitely. Would you toast your brack? Do you like brack? I don't like brack. Oh, I love brack and I often toast it. But uh, butter is, I agree with you, butter's butter. number one. But for years we used to use flora, mm. right? Flora for years yeah. and years. It went off it, to be honest with you. But then I got into Bertoli. Have That's you ever right. seen Bertoli, the Bertoli spread? And Bertoli... There's an olive on the top. There, yes, yes. Yeah. Bertoli with butter, with a, with a hint of butter. Mm. That was in tubs. Bertoli with butter taste. Can't get it anymore, Louise. Why not? Can't get the Bertoli with butter. It's not on the shelves anymore. There's mm. just the ordinary Bertoli, which is fine. But I just love the little twist of butter in the Bertoli on my spread, on my bread, on my toast, on my brack. Is it a supply issue or have they discontinued the range? I don't know. They may have discontinued. That it's one, Either or. But it's not a supply issue because they have Bertoli. Mm. So I'm sure they'd have the other one. Maybe they've just discontinued it. So I went for an alternative the weekend. I had to make a change. Nutella. No. <laughs> Jesus, Nutella. Next best thing. <laughs> Unless you're going for pure butter. Uh, I went for Benacol buttery. Oh. You know the oh. Benacol, they say... It tastes it, like medicine or sounds like medicine. Yeah, it lowers cholesterol, they right. say. Benacol buttery, that's where I'm at mm-hmm. now. And I quite like it, I do as well. But if you, it, what would be your number one alternative to butter if you had to go for a spread? Well, since the price of butter, as you know, went up in the recent year, I kind of said, right, that's it. So as well as the butter, I've reduced my, that I buy less butter, but I also buy a spreadable butter, but it's just the, the I'll do your little brand, okay. own brand butter and it's grand, it's lovely. All right. Anyone, I wouldn't eat I, it myself, but it's grand for sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't eat it yourself. I'd only have but pure butter on Your poor on, children. On toast. Your poor children. And I bet you you're having Nutella secretly on your toast when no, they're all in bed. No, I'm not actually. Do you not? You no, don't do that. No, I'm I, good. 
Anyway, uh, what should I try, folks? Me, me Bertoli with butter is gone. You need a gone. spread. You can't do the um, butter for health. Yeah, you? yeah, I'm looking for natural. a spread. I'm looking for a spread. I've gone the Benicol buttery route. Anything else? What about that dairy gold? No. Never tried it. Never tried it. Might I might give nice. it a go as well. I'm going to use the Benicol buttery anyway. But if there's anything else I should try when it comes to a spread on my toast or my bread or my brack, you might help me. What Make do you your use yourself? Huh? Make your own butter. Well, it's quite easy to make butter, actually, you know. But it has the same cholesterol value. Yes. Okay. So I'm looking for a a recommendation on a spread for my bread on late lunch today. Can you help me? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. It has to be buttery taste. It can't be jam or marmalade. Oh, no, 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 no. No, it's a spread. It's a spread. Please, it's a spread. No, no. We're talking about, you know, buttery taste, olive oil, margarine. You know, and that's margarine. Do you hear me saying margarine? Anyway, what should I put on my bread? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. The spread on the bread for GK. Thank you for all your recommendations for spreads on my bread. I will be back to it very, very shortly. But first, have you noticed in your home... The leggy friends are everywhere. Her Louise is in trepidation. She's going round the house, watching for them here, there and everywhere. You know how Louise hates spiders. Anyway, I love them. I really have a passion for spiders and there's quite a lot of them about at the moment. And we're going to talk about them for the next while with an expert. He's an arachnologist and he's been with us before on Late Lunch. Welcome back to Miles Nolan. Hello, Miles. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm really good. Is it uh, because they're getting more amorous at this time of the year that we see spiders more? That's it exactly. For the for the large house spiders, it's mating season. So as I've said to you before, the, the males especially are wandering around looking for a female and crawling up the sides of buildings and the such like, maybe in houses, and they come in a window and end up in your bath or looking at you as, you, as, they, you know, as you're sitting, trying to sit quietly in your sofa or armchair. <laughs> I was having a shower last week and I looked up in the corner above the shower miles and yeah. there, there was the spider not a bother in it. Yeah, yeah, and which one was that? Was that one of the daddy long legs? No, not a daddy long legs. Uh, in my opinion, it was the harmless giant house spider. Those guys, yeah. one yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. But but here's a question, Miles, that people often ask me, and I think you've nearly answered it already. But let's refer to the daddy long legs as well. Is it be, is it open doors, open windows that they come into your house? They don't live there all year, do they? <clears throat> Okay, well, the, the, the daddy long legs, the, the Latin name is Falcus phalangiodes, that lives essentially only in houses. So it's not coming in windows. Its entire breeding cycle uh, takes place within houses. And in fact, if you put those guys outdoors, most of the year they're going to die. Mm. So the only time that I've ever seen them outdoors is in the very, very warmest evenings, summer evenings, the warm, balmy summer evenings. And, okay, and sometimes then juveniles will wander around on the outsides of walls and this allows them to spread from house to house but essentially they are in strictly indoor species so you'll only very rarely see them outdoors so that's the daddy long legs you're saying yeah that's the daddy long legs right. so it's go on no so it lives like i say almost strictly within houses okay um, and so it's making use of the artificial warmth so whereas something like the giant house spider the big brown guys they can live outdoors and indoors but they're mostly outdoors, you know, and, you know, they'll, you'll find them more common, like in a shed or a garage or, you know, amongst ivy or something like that. So when the male leaves its web to go looking for a one, for a female, that's when, um, you know, they'll be wandering around and accidentally get into your house. So they'll mate, but the, the male doesn't live. No, the males and spiders, they generally die fairly quickly after mating. So once they mature, um, you know, not immediately necessarily, but for some species, the moment they mature, all they're really thinking about is mating. And then, like, soon after, within a, a week or a couple of weeks, they'll die. So some species, they can mate multiple times. So it might wander from one female. It'll find a female at one web, and then it might go and wander to another. But, um, that you know, it, it's, its mating period is fairly short. And the female then uh, lives through the winter into the spring. When does she have her offspring? 
Well, this this varies. You see, uh, uh, like I've said to you before, there's over 400 species of spider in Ireland, okay? Yeah. And they all have slightly different mating seasons. So the vast majority of species actually are mating earlier, very early summer, May, June. And that's when they set their egg sacs. But these are all small animals and, you know, people don't notice them in the same way they notice the big garden spiders and the big house spiders. Mm. So when they lay their eggs in May, those eggs will hatch out within a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And then the juveniles over winter. Okay. okay? And then they become adult in the spring, summer, and the cycle starts again. Now with the big house spider, the female will set her egg sac uh, late in the year and the eggs will overwinter. Mm. as eggs, you know, and there's another range of species that does that. Like the common garden spider, it's eggs over winter as well, and it's only in spring that the young emerge and they start to do the growth cycle then. Mm, very interesting, it really is. So the house spiders will wait to the new year before the uh, new ones emerge. Now look, exactly. I yeah. don't have to tell you you know, nobody ever sees a little spider. If you ask anybody, Indeed. oh, uh, he's ginormous, absolutely ginormous. Does there's a terror and a fear have grown up around spiders, and it's a bit irrational, isn't it? It is. I think most of those fears are, though, and it's quite hard to explain exactly where they come from. You know, uh, now, I mean, especially like you know, there's over over fifty thousand spiders have been named worldwide at this stage, and of all of those, there's fewer than ten are really dangerously venomous. You know, at, at kind of ten or so, and of those. There's only one or two that are known to be actually aggressive. And yet people have this fear of them. And a very large number of people have a fear of them. And so it's, I've all, I've, I still haven't, I, I don't feel I, I, I still feel I don't understand it, I should say. Um, but there's, I think one of the big things about them is, as you kind of said yourself, you're quietly going about your business and then suddenly this thing is kind of lurking, you know, or running or emerging from somewhere. And I think it's that thing of giving people a kind of a start or a fright that, you know, that can become a fear from a, a, an early age. They scurry. I think that's they the thing scurry. about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what evokes the fear in people, to be honest with you. I find when I get them, if they're annoying anybody, I just pick them up and, and bring them out to the garage or somewhere. I let them out yeah. outdoors in my greenhouse or whatever. And they seem to be perfectly happy with that if you know you want to shelter them again. Absolutely. And in fact, like I know the the big, the common house spider is a, a large, intimidating looking animal, but it is genuinely completely harmless. And, you know, I'd have no problem cupping my hands around a specimen and just carrying it out. You know, you don't want to squash it in your hand or anything like that. But uh, it's, I, you know, I've never been bitten. And um, mm. I think, you know, if if you saw one with a big fat abdomen, I'd be wary of picking that up because that might be a heavily pregnant female. And if she feels that her babies are under threat, she might give a nip sooner than another animal, you know. Yes. But, you know, essentially it is a a completely harmless animal. And waving the flag for spiders today, they have a function because they do predate on other little things that annoy people. Uh, absolutely. I mean, if, if you're if you're bothered by wood lice, for example, uh, which often can come into houses and so on, um, like the the smaller false widow, Steatoda grossa, gorges itself on them. And you know, you you might, you, you know, some of your listeners might occasionally have kind of moved a bookcase or something that was sitting in a corner for a long period of time, and find a little pile of dead wood lice, and that's usually a sign that Steatoda grossa has been at work. Um, so, I mean, but like if even falcus in your house, the daddy long leg spider, they will deal with pests like clothes moths or, uh, you know, other, you know, there are other moths, carpet moths, that kind of thing. So it, it, there are benefits to having a few of them around, though I appreciate people don't want to be, to be overwhelmed by them. Uh, the daddy long legs, let's come back to the daddy for a moment, because the daddy will predate on the false widow spider, which is a recent <coughs> arrival in, in this country. True or false? Well, it can do. It can it, it can uh, deal with it if it gets the bite in first. You know, I mean, uh, most spiders, including falcus, are fairly omnivorous. You know, they will tend to they they will tend to eat just about anything that will that comes their way. You know, so if there if a, a false widow happens to be crawling around and he gets a little bit entangled in falcus web, and falcus, despite its spindly appearance, it can move incredibly fast along its own web. 
you know, there is it, it could um, what the dealership blows, so to speak. Even though the, even though it's it's also well known that the Volkswagen has a much stronger venom. Uh, back to and uh, uh, sorry, staying with the daddy for a moment. I'm an angler myself, and a daddy long legs is something that's used in the autumn time of the year as a dap for trout on a blow line. You know what I mean? They are, you know, okay. let it out in front of the boat. It's usually a cocktail, a daddy long legs, and a grasshopper. But you know, you were saying there were house creatures, but sometimes, and it's sometimes you might be on a lake, and maybe a farmer is cutting a meadow or something and you'll see some of them blow out onto the water and the trout cop this on you know what I mean and and right. get them you yeah. know what I mean they're, they're just a little aside to what we're talking about today you know well I'd say what you're talking about there might be possibly the crane fly which is also known commonly oh, as the long legs. I am I am Miles right. thank so, you so, thank here, you. so whenever I refer to Falcus as the Daddy Longlegs, I always say the Daddy Longlegs spider. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. Just to, just to keep Absolutely, it you're right. It's if actually... It wings, it's not a spider. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for putting me straight there. I'd have been lashed about that anyway. You're right. It's the crane fly daddy rather than the spider, which we've been talking about for the last while. You know, if you have a phobia, if you are afraid, is it possible to correct it is indeed like um uh, you know it, it's one of these things where um i hate to use the word hypnotism because i don't really believe in hypnotism but these there are techniques for kind of allowing you to persuade yourself away from the gut reaction which is one of fear you know yes so you know in you know it, you know in you know the way it, it can be something like cognitive behavior here the therapy which basically allows you to kind of adjust the way you respond to situations that life throw at you mm. so if someone you know i have known a few people over the years who literally, if a spider appears, they are just frozen to the spot. They cannot move. And for for if your if your if your fears of spider are that profound, then you know it could be useful to you perhaps to seek some kind of uh, uh, you know a psychological remedy. Like um, I'm, you know, it doesn't mean you're mad or anything like that. These are just ways of kind of like I say, tweaking the way you behave in response to these kinds of situations. Well, we have someone, uh, Miles, close to you and I at this moment who has an absolute <laughs> fear of them. Her name is uh, Miss Louise Walsh and she is just so afraid of spiders. You wouldn't believe the fear she has on them. Isn't that right, Louise? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In a word, yes. Yeah. yeah. Although although I did, I was saying to Miles, I did for about two weeks manage to sleep with a little tiny spider called Dave because my seven year old wouldn't let me go near it. And that's why I was just exhausted because every 10 minutes I'd be looking up at one eye to see if Dave had moved. <laughs> I never knew that. God, this revelation is happening on the show mm, today David, with Miles David, Nolan. Dave with us. went. Uh, oh, did he? Yeah. Well, well, 
I would suggest, Louise, you're on the way to a cure. If you can manage to do that, you're actually doing pretty well. Dave didn't didn't uh, move because you know the way there's there's all these reports that people say when you're asleep, you actually open your mouth and a load of spiders go in every night. No, no, that's complete utter total ball. Okay, <laughs> I'm glad to ne- hear that. Never mind every night. I, I'm, I'd be astounded if most people swallow one in their life. Spiders aren't that stupid. <laughs> Did you see what this comes from, Miles? This is where uh, the, your absolutely. friends get the bad press from. Stuff like uh, this. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like We've got to dispel well, that, you know. Um, anyway, they're harmless. Uh, they're going about their business. If you don't like them, do take them out and just place them elsewhere in your outhouses or whatever. But they are uh, creatures that have a real purpose in this life, like uh, most things have. Uh, Miles, listen, you're great for uh, chatting to us again today. Thank you so much indeed. I really appreciate it. Not at all. My pleasure, Jerry. Talk another time. You too. Take care now. Bye-bye. We will indeed. Miles Nolan there, one of our foremost arachnologists here in Ireland who knows all about our uh, leggy friends. I never knew that about you and Dave. Yeah, now Dave was the tiniest, tiniest thing and it appeared on the top of, of the yeah. The headboard like and um, the seven year olds just know you can't touch Dave so I was yeah sleeping with one eye open if Dave <laughs> Dave didn't move so Dave could have been dead for the two weeks <laughs> I just didn't check and then he just disappeared oh, there's a while I was hoovering oh poor what yeah no it just, oh, it just oh, happened to oh, coincide with when I was hoovering oh, it's just it's just coincidence where did you empty the hoover bag I, I didn't I didn't is he still in there yeah yeah. He might be happy in the Hoover bag. You'd never know. There's a list. I'm terrified of them, Jerry. I killed them on site. Don't do that. Don't kill them. You saw me removing them from the office. Yeah. Putting the gla- a piece of paper in the glass and taking them out and putting them outside. Yeah. Oh, no, I wouldn't touch them. I, I can't love- even get that near. No. Yeah, I love them. I, I think they're gourds creatures. That's me. I really have a great time for spiders. I really, really do. Why are they it- always in the bath? <laughs> Probably in just to get a bit of a, like a, clean. a, a touch up, a shampoo and stuff like that you know they, they're, they're clever yeah yeah. they're clever as well they just go around those places they like beauties Louise John wants to know how do you know it was Dave the spider it could have been Davina it could have been it could have been could have been sure yeah. but in your book it's just a spider isn't that it mm. I just saw spider I did question and it would, no she, she, she didn't get into the looking uh, with a microscope at it John uh, yeah, I'm terrified I reckon it was I reckon it was a Dave though do you yeah, okay. yeah, because it didn't object to me making the bed or anything like that. Was, <laughs> you know, just are you getting at us, boys? There, you probably are. But anyway, you're, you're, I'd say in most cases you're right. Here's another one. I'm terrified of them spiders. I'm the only one in the house that finds them. I have a spider catcher. It's a long-handled tool with a brush at the end. Even though I'm terrified of them, I don't like killing them. Aww. So I catch them and run for my life out the door and let them loose. Says a listener. Spider catcher. I wonder I like where, where they, they got that from. I like you. I like that. And thanks for not killing them. I have a spider catcher. It's called my son or my husband. <laughs> you're ruined. You're, you're, you're ruined. What about the spreads for my bread? The spread for my bread. Look at this. There's loads of people out there want to help me. Uh, Francis called in to say, oh, so butterly. Did you ever hear that spread? Oh, so butterly. Yeah, she gets it in a yellow tub and super value in Kells, just over a euro and last for a week for two people, says Francis. Thanks for that one. Our Danny, Marmite. Now, Marmite is, you know the saying, it's, it's, it's yeah. Marmite. You yeah. either like it or you, don't. or you loathe it. I actually mm. never tried it in my life. A crunchy peanut butter, says Flame and Eamon. Not so sure about that as a spread. I think if you're eating peanut butter, you need nearly butter underneath it to make it... You know, otherwise, it stick to the roof of your mouth. Mm, crunchy peanut, but yeah, I'm yeah. sure it's very tasty, Eamon. That's it. Yummy. Uh, yummy is right. There's a number for Lolo, uh, including mm. Kevin, who says Lolo is a lovely spread and very good for your cholesterol, Jerry. Maraid was on to say Lolo too. Lolo original, Jerry. 75% less saturated fat. Mary says Kerry made is gorgeous. Mm. God, lots of suggestions there to try. Do they still have the. It was in a yellow tub. I can't believe it's not butter. Butter. Um, that was a spread, wasn't it? It was. I don't know whether it's still out there or not. I can't believe it's not butter. Yeah. Butter. Butter. <laughs> what a name. That was clever. 
That was very clever, wasn't it? Very, very clever. Uh, uh, Roisin was on to say honey and real dairy gold. That would be a nice comp combination mm. and I'm, I'm with you I just popped into me as I speak there from a listener um, I think it's Helen Heinz sandwich spread now <gasps> did, you, did you ever have Heinz sandwich yeah, spread yeah I love Bob. it I love I haven't it I have had it in years I love Helen I love Heinz sandwich spread it's lovely and tangy it is uh, it was a great fallback in emergency if you're on the lake and you're running out of food and you know only bread <laughs> left once you had the jar of Heinz sandwich spread she ate like a king does it taste up? but you know I have to say, Helen, as a spread for my toast in the morning, mm, no. No. Wouldn't be a morning thing for me. Just but give up bread. Oh, no, couldn't Till give up bread. Your, oh, your no. Back. Oh, no, couldn't give up bread. I love I love it. That's my breakfast every morning. My breakfast in the morning, it's a slice of toast with uh, whatever the spread is on it and some marmalade and a cup of tea. That's it. Would you not have porridge or something actually good for you? Like, and lower the, your cholesterol. Is the toast not good for me? Is porridge not better for lowering your cholesterol? It probably is. I, I take a figari at times and have porridge when I get on a health burst or in the winter it gets cold mm. or something. But a slice of toast and tea does me a uh, sandwich and then uh, dinner at tea time and that's sort of it for the day. Um, keeps me keeps me right as rain uh, until I fall off the wagon again. But th- no, I do. Toast and a cup of tea, a slash of tea in the morning is just lovely. That's my my start to the day. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Catherine O'Keefe is joining us shortly. She She's a wellness warrior and founder of uh, the Menopause Podcast. We're talking to her in a wee while. And we're going to hear about the Kilfenora Kelly band later on the show, Later on in the show. They're still going after a hundred and something years. Spoken to my next guest in the past. She's the founder of Wellness Warrior, uh, Ireland's first menopause coach. Uh, she's a self-confessed health geek. I'm not insulting her now. That's what she says herself. And she's in the process of organising the Menopause Success Summit, which is happening soon, and the second season of our Menopause Uprising podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Catherine O'Keefe, good afternoon. Hey, Jerry, how are you? Lovely to talk to you again. And me to you. I heard you were listening into the Spider chat. <laughs> I was. Oh my God, I'm so there with that one. <laughs> so <Yeah>. there. <laughs> I, I, I would have definitely. Uh, I would have been sleeping with both eyes open. <laughs> No, not not a not a fan. I'm afraid, not a fan. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you for joining I, I do, us. I, I do wonder was it was it Dave or was it Gina? Because yes, <laughs> could make a big difference. Wouldn't it? <laughs> it certainly, certainly could. Anyway, good to have you with us on, on the show again. Can I say, in a general sense, that you know, especially in uh, recent times, and I'm sure you welcome this, and you're deeply involved in it. Uh, menopause is to the fore now. It's it's getting yeah. the outing and the airing and the recognition and whatever you like to say it always deserved. Is that fair enough? Yeah. I, I think so, big time. And I think, like, Jerry, I was on with you first years ago. Yep. Like, we're probably, I think it's about five years ago. Mm. We we first, when I came up to you and we chatted about it. So I think it's been steadily kind of, you know, brewing. I think, you know, over the last five to seven years, we've kind of opened it up. And, you know, thankfully now the conversation is well out there and it's kind of mainstream in the media, which is which it needs to be, you know. So I think now it's just kind of... It's building on that and making sure that we keep the momentum is the key. One aspect of this that uh, always intrigued me as uh, the conversation emerged and more uh, has has been opened up about menopause is the situation that women find themselves at work and in the working environment where we are today and you are and a lot of people listening to us. Do you think that has moved on sufficiently? Is there enough recognition there still? I, I, I think that is definitely moving on. And I think, like, say to date now, since I would have been up with you, Jerry, I've worked with over 300 companies in Ireland and internationally. So I think Ireland actually is doing very well in terms of opening the menopause conversation in the workplace. But we still we still have a lot of work to do. And, you know, in terms of making sure that women are supported every day in work and understanding that, I think the big challenge for workplaces is understanding that every woman's experience is different. So Mm. you might be supporting one of your team members and what you do for her could be very different to what you do for somebody else. So 
I think that, you know, that just makes it, you just have to be more practical. You have to think about it a bit more. But I certainly think we're, we're doing well, but we have, we have a lot of work to do yet, for sure. But if you look at us globally, we're definitely one of the countries now that is leading the conversation in the workplace. So, you know, I think we have to see, see that as a good positive sign, you know. Well, yeah, to be welcomed for sure. I was just looking at your new season of uh, podcast, The uh, Menopause Uprising, and uh, intriguing, uh, one of the early ones uh, is about sleepless nights. You had Tom Coleman <laughs> on there with you, and I suppose for women listening to us today who are struggling, uh, let's say, with sleep uh, around the menopause stage, of their lives in a few words what do you say to them how can you you know get a night's good kip get, get a good night's sleep yeah. I would I always say Jerry, your good night's sleep starts first thing in the morning so just look at it that way the minute you get up in the morning get yourself into the brightest light so that you kick off the circadian rhythm which will inca- impact the key hormones that we need for good sleep so that's one thing then it's also being mindful before you go to bed, just, you know, be very mindful of your caffeine because a lot of people can be drinking a lot of caffeine even in the afternoon. And we know that that will encourage cortisol production, which will disturb your sleep. So it's kind of looking at, you know, what are the triggers that aren't allowing me to get a good night's sleep? And then another big one is just try and make sure you get the downtime from technology, be it the phone the Netflix, whatever it is, try and give yourself at least 60 minutes before you you put your head in the pillow and turn off the light. You know, we know that that can all help in terms of promoting good sleep. Now, if it's due to night sweats, then a little bit different. You really need to look at your clothing, make sure it's cotton and take all of that into account, a cold room, etc. But it'd be some of the key things that you could certainly start to look at. Your book came out earlier in the year, uh, All You Need to Know About Menopause. It, it, it really went well for you, and I ain't surprised because I have it here still, and it's just so comprehensive, covering every aspect of this. I, I suppose, time-wise, it, it's different for every woman, isn't it, when this period yeah. in life arrives? And perimenopause, how, 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 how do you understand it's, it, it's happening, the perimenopause? I, I think, Jerry, you, you like you've hit you've hit something there because what happens for a lot of people, they don't actually realise perimenopause is happening. Now, with more education, I think we'll help women with that. But I'd have spoken to countless women who won't realise that they're actually in perimenopause because the changes tend to be very subtle, hmm. and it's not like it's not like you're going to start getting the mad hot flushes, the very typical symptoms. It tends to be in perimenopause. It tends to be all about the psychological, you know, how are you feeling? It might be a little bit of anxiety. Maybe you're confident. You're just not as confident at work. Maybe you're just, maybe you're not going out as much. You're feeling a little bit more, you know, anxious, either in work or with friends and so forth. And so it can be very, very subtle. And I think then on top of that, in the perimenopause stage, it can be that the periods are still going regularly and that can confuse women because they're thinking, okay, well, I'm still having my periods, so I can't be in kind of perimenopause, but you actually can. You can still have your periods, but you can still be having many other symptoms of perimenopause. So I think the important thing is understanding the symptoms so that then you can kind of be aware of, well, what do I need to be looking out for? What should I be keeping an eye out for? And that's where the psychological tends to be a big one for many people. And leads me into something else. Um, we were talking yesterday with our pharmacist, Cathy Maher, about the free contraception being extended, you know, into the 30s now. Yeah. And she's called for it to be to go beyond that. Uh, and yeah. that makes, I said to her yesterday, it makes such sense. But when you mention this change, perimenopause, intermenopause, it's still important to remember that a pregnancy can happen out of the blue. Oh. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. And I, I mean, that's, look, myself, I, I did tons of pregnancy kits, uh, test kits in perimenopause years because when the periods start going haywire, you kind of, you don't know what's happening. And then you might, in your head, you're like, oh God, maybe I feel a little bit nausea. Maybe I'm just not feeling 100%. Gosh, maybe I am. So you, like, it, you can, you're still fertile. And, and, you know, another important part of that is, you know, that misconception out there that HRT 
is a form of contraception and it isn't. If you're going on traditional HRT, it's not a form of contraception. So that always has to be taken into account as well. And it's something we should be very aware of because, you know, you are in theory still fertile. And really, when you're looking at it, you know, when do you stop contraception? Well, you know, you can be looking at you have to hit menopause, the average age being 51. And then, you know, many doctors will say, well, you might want to give yourself a year or two after that to be sure, to be sure, you know. Mm, yes, uh, because uh, it, it's still possible. And, and that, that is the message you've imparted on many, many occasions. Um in, in the book, you break down, you know, uh, in in later on, later on in the book, which which I really like, you know, the six M's of menopause, and yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's a, it's a really good map, I have to say, for women there. But just to pick one of them, uh, time limiting us today, finding your joy, you know, meaning finding yeah. the joy in your life, going through this and beyond. It's not easy. No, and, and, and like we, we know not everybody gets symptoms. For, for those who do, it can be very challenging. And I think whilst you're trying to navigate the symptoms and all of that, you really have to look at, well, what are the things, what are the simple things that make you smile? You know, what what gives you a break, a bit of respite from what you're experiencing? And maybe maybe that's, you know, a nice cup of coffee with a slice of carrot cake. Maybe it's going for a walk. Maybe it's meeting a friend, but whatever that is, Jerry, you really have to make a real effort in these years to carve out time for yourself. Because we know the majority of women going through menopause will t- generally tend to be in the sandwich years where you might have aging children, you could have aging parents, and then you're in between with kind of work, life, and then menopause on top. And you're trying to you're trying to keep it all together, and that's can be very hard but it becomes even harder if you're not replenishing yourself by you know carving out some time for yourself and I kind of always say look this isn't self-care it's actually crucial care because if you want to empower yourself thrive through these years you've got to give yourself some rest and respite Mm. as well at the Mm. same time. Ah, well yeah. said, well said, Catherine. The other, the other uh, part of this equation is, I know it's the woman has to go through it, but what about your partner and their role in this and talking about this? Traditionally in Ireland, ah, the boys wouldn't have said much, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do for sure and I think look I probably first hand seen big changes there because you know today I was working with two workplaces today and you know on both of those workplaces men are part of the conversation men come along and they have valuable contributions and they and they are Jerry they are looking to see how can they help where can they start? What can they do? And, you know, I think because it's become more mainstream um, in the media and in conversations, I think, you know, partners realise that they need to understand what's happening and they need to be able to help their, their partners. And, you know, and I think it's great that we're seeing that happen. I think then it's kind of, you know, I always kind of say, look, the very starting point is just get an understanding of the symptoms because then you'll actually understand there's a lot more to it than just hot flushes because you know many people if you know you ask them they're like oh hot flushes brain fog night sweats but as you and I know there's 46 47 other symptoms out there you know so understanding what those are is definitely the first step and then kind of looking to how you can support your partner, I think, you know, and bringing all of that together can be life-changing for for your partner, but also for your relationship as well. Because when you look at menopause, it's not just the person going through it. It's all the touch points in that person's life. So, you know, it's your partner, it's your family, it's your friends, it's your, your work colleagues, your manager. Everyone is impacted. So it benefits everyone when we support someone going through menopause. That is so true. Now, with all this in mind, the Menopause Success Summit, this is your baby, is happening (laughs) on Saturday week, the 14th of October, at the Royal Marine Hotel in Dunleary. What what, what will happen on that day? Yeah, this is the fourth one we've run. And, oh, look, they're, they're a fabulous day. It's a real community event where... You know, women come together and they share stories, they hug, they cry. I mean, everything happens. It's a lovely, safe space. But the most important part of it is, is that we have experts there who will really empower you with 
how do I support myself in menopause? How, what is HRT? Where do I start? What do I need to know? What are, if I don't want to go along with HRT, what else can I look at? You know, maybe acupuncture, reflexology, herbalism. Um, and, you know, and how do I look after my mental and emotional health? And all of this is being brought together from experts from the UK and Ireland who will basically just a really safe space to give you the information that you need so that we can really support each other to thrive through these years. And just understanding that, like, the underpinnings of that are lifestyle and bringing all of that together. So generally, you find, Jerry, you know, women might, you know, I would say probably 50, 60 percent of women come to the events on their own. But they all leave with friends. And yeah. I think that's a lovely part of the day. And you generally find, you know, the room, there's a bubble of excitement in the morning and then everyone starts chatting and then you can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Sounds, <laughs> sounds great. I think, I, I think us boys might even gate crash. No, we can't. It's, we can't. Anyway, how do people book a place? Um, menopausesuccesssummit.com is the website and it's the Royal Marine Hotel Dunleary Dublin on the 14th of October an all day event with lovely food treats lovely. the whole lot of goodie bag the whole lot thrown in great stuff ah oh, fascinating speaking to you again thanks so much for joining us on the show and I wish you well on the 14th of October thanks a million Catherine thanks Take care. Bye. Bad night at the office for Arsenal and Manchester United last night. I am an Arsenal fan, but I watched the United game. Oh, my word. Have United problems? They certainly have. And as for the Gunners, well, without a centre forward, I don't think you can win anything. That's my uh, considered opinion. And on the sporting front, isn't that fantastic news today? Euro 2028 is coming to the UK and Ireland. We're going to get it. We're going to be hosting the European Soccer Championships here in 2028. Uh, the Aviva and uh, the uh, GA ground in Belfast. At the, well, it's been lying there for years, Casement Park. And it's going to be rebuilt now and a venue for the Euro 2028. It's fantastic. I take it we won't have to qualify. <laughs> We'll make a championship finals because we won't have to qualify. Well, they'll have to allow Wales, Scotland, England, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Five of us to automatically qualify. Will that happen? I wonder what will happen around that. That's an interesting one. Or will we automatically qualify? Oh, my God. It's a, a real conundrum. We're struggling, struggling big time at international level at the moment. Anyway, Euro 2028, coming your way soon. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. It's time for this. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number three from this very week in 1986. A good week it was, I have to say, for the top five. But today's song was originally released in 1975 by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes featuring Teddy Prendergast. And uh, it went quite well for them. Not bad, I have to say. But it really took off when American singer Thelma Houston in 1976 uh, took it on board and went with it. It was a big success for her. But today's version, of course, is 1986 and it's the cover by the Communards. It became the biggest selling single in the UK in 1986. Yes, our number three from this week in 86 is Communards and Don't Leave Me This Way. Communards, don't leave me this way. Number three from this week in 1986 in our top five countdown this afternoon. Big, big song, massive hit for them at the time. As I said, the biggest that year in the UK in terms of sales. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio and we're finishing out with a music feature today. Did you ever hear of them? The Kilfenora Cayley Band? very famous band they're still on the go they're actually flying after a hundred and odd years the Kilfenora Cayley Band and they are still on the go and going strong after many many years and I'm delighted to say hello on the show today to the man who's been their band leader for 30 years at this stage John Lynch afternoon John 
Hello, Jerry, and uh, it's my pleasure to be on the Late Lunch Show, and good evening to your listeners as well. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Delighted to have you. Will you go back for us? When was the uh, the band formed? What year, and what's the story of its formation? The, the band was uh, came together in 1909 to raise funds for the local church, Jerry. And that time there wasn't even, the word Cayley hadn't been introduced even. And... Uh, they raised funds for uh, renovating the local church in the local national school. They had socials on in the local national school, and my grandfather was part of that. And then the band continued on right up to today, and my father and my uncle and my aunt were part of the 1950s band. And I'm the third generation Lynch, we'll say, to be in it. But there were many more than the Lynches in it as well, families like, you know, mm. but it has kept going and we're delighted and it has evolved from being a Cayley band really to being both a Cayley band and a concert band now and uh, we love doing both. Yes, and you know, when you mention 1909, 114 years not out with six successive generations of families and musicians, it's a fantastic achievement. And going back, I want to go back to the 50s because in the 50s, yeah, no the band were mightily successful at the Flower, weren't they? They had a, a halcyon, a golden era in the 50s. That's correct. Because, well, you see, I, I think you have to take. You see, that's why the band the band has evolved with the social times that it, that it was performing in. Mm. And in the 1950s, Coltis, Coltis was founded in 1951. Yeah. And my father, and Jim Moore, Gabi Gutim, both of them, went to the FLA in 1953. They had heard about Coltis. They had, so they said they'd go to see, like, you know, what was happening here. And they saw the band competition and said, oh, God, this would shoot us down to the ground because they were used to playing for house dances and that around Kilfenora, you know. So yeah. they went home. And my father and Kitty Lenan, who was his first cousin, and she was the leader of the band from the 50s right through to when I took over, they put a band together and they won the All-Ireland in 1954, 5 and 6. And because of success, they were asked to play throughout the whole country. It was a launching pad for them. And then they also... Uh, travelled to London at that time because if you take it back to the 50s there was a lot of immigration at that time Mm. and a lot of the Irish there was nearly more Irish over in London than there were here at home so they did a tour of London always during Lent before Easter (laughs) because as you know here at that time you weren't allowed any uh, joyous occasions during Lent you were supposed to be doing your penance but in London they didn't have restrictions like that so the band went to London Fantastic. What story uh, story that is. It, it's wonderful and it, it just brings us back to the times it was here. And bringing it up much uh, closer to today's day, in the 90s, you went and repeated it and even went one better, winning the flower four years in a row, 93 to 96. Well, we won 93, 94 and 5 and you can only do that because uh, you have to step down then. Oh, you know, I you see. Can only go I see. Three. Now, I wasn't too far away from you at that stage. I was teaching in Clane and County Kildare. I see. For 20 years and I just wanted, as because of the family, I suppose, we wanted to see how the present generation would do and we did and the very same thing happened because of the success we were asked to play all over and I said, well, we will play but the Kifanora always has had a big sound mm. and I will only play with the ten of us. Now, it has even evolved further because we had the centenary celebrations of the band in 2009 and we did uh, concerts in the National Concert Hall. We've been in the concert, National Concert Hall for the last, I suppose, 12, 13 years in a row on, at the Patrick's weekend. And so the band has evolved from being, uh, as I said, a Kelly band to a concert band. And the last album we did was uh, called Both Sides Now. And that included the song, the Johnny Mitchell song. And uh, it, that kind of was a metaphor for her, the way we are going now from it's kind of showing where we're coming from and where we're going to and to be a successful creative band, you know? So like the the people, what I would say for the people up around Louth and and when we were competing, there was a great band from not too far from you, Jerry competing against us and they were in uh, Dundalk and they were the Sheemsa Kelly band. So we have great friends up in that area and we're, performing in the TLT on Sunday, October the 15th. And uh, the tickets are www.thetlt.ie. But what I would say is, I have been listening to your show and I know it's mainly, you have a very spread of 
music on all day like that and you had Bunny Tyler I remember Bunny Tyler well myself you know yeah. and don't leave me this way and our music as well don't think that uh, you're going to become just listening to a band playing jigs and wheels all night no yes. this is a show with yeah. lighting uh, we have got a 13 piece band three dancers Don Stiff will be singing with us and we are not just sitting down playing music we're standing up we're sitting down the dancers come in they go out it's a show really and it's we have been in the TLT twice uh, during the our lives, successful nights there so we love going around the country uh, performing because like as far as I'm concerned performing live Jerry is what it's about from the point of view there's always a conversation between what the band and the audience there's a conversation between the two yes. and like with Covid it was terrible I found Covid like because uh, you couldn't perform and for artists at that time it was terrible um, and thanks be to God it's just coming back now to where it was before Covid yes. and like sometimes people have forgotten what live music is like mm. like what I want to see is when we come down to meet the people after the show on next Sunday week please God is you see their eyes and they're sparkling they're, they're, they're kind of buzzing like you see mm. and that's what live music is about really oh, and uh, people are getting used to that again I think and it's and it's good because well the performing bands and the artists need that two-way conversation. Absolutely. Look, we're looking forward to you coming to the TLT again. It is Sunday week the 15th of October. Tickets are available from tlt.ie or you can call to the box office there. It's going to be a great show. It's a concert and it'll be, uh, there'll be something for everybody in the audience in the TLT on Sunday week. Great to talk to you. Wish you well with the gig and thanks for joining me, John. Lovely, and thanks, Jerry, and good wishes to everybody in, in Louth and Meat and North Dublin, and hopefully we'll see you all on the 15th of October. Looking forward to it, Jerry, and thank you for having me. Not at all, you will indeed. Take care, John. That's John Lynch there, 30 years band leader with the Kilfenora Cayley Band, but Cayley and more besides, coming your way on October the 15th. Coming your way on uh, Late Lunch on LMFM Radio with the driver's Paul McKenna. We'll be back tomorrow, 1.30, but today we leave you in the company of Joel Corey and Ella Henderson in heaven. See ya. Heaven had a phone line.